Would you help us to see? Because the beautiful thing is, as we see you, we become more like you. So make us more like you because we know you. And I ask that as we talk through certain things this morning, that certain parts of our hearts and parts of our minds would come out of hiding into the open before you. Not in a contrived way, a manufactured way, a fabricated way, but in a trusting way because we're walking in freedom to live loved by you. Where did Zachary go? I think he bailed on me. Zach was, Josh was up here with me last week. And I was going to have Zachary come up this week, but I think he took off. Which, I'm just going to have to improvise. Which I don't mind. Good morning. We've already had a full morning. I've never had that many announcements. It's good stuff, things I'm excited about. I, I have a confession. I know where I'm supposed to start this morning. No idea where it's going to end. Help? Just figured I'd put that out there on the front end, right? So we can just, we can work with that. That doesn't mean I'm just going to talk for an hour and a half. I'll, I'll be aware of the time, but it does mean that there might be some things that the Holy Spirit's saying to you that help us kind of tie all this together. Who knows? The part I'm not knowing means we'll see. But what we, I wanted to bring you in real quick. So most of you are aware, and, and I, I, I don't do this to be condescending or patronizing, but I wanted to, to bring everybody kind of back together quickly to know, to see what we've been doing the last couple weeks. We've been, Eric, will you open up Keynote real quick? We've been going through a little thing that we've been calling shame on God, with a question mark. And our subtitle is The Skeletons in the Divine Closet. It'll be up there momentarily. I think Eric's a Windows guy. Are you, no, you're a Mac guy. So while we're waiting for that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you quickly up to speed. So the first, what we've been talking about is looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament and some of the discrepancies and some of those things that we, we look at these stories in the Old Testament and we say, whoa, okay, well, people talk about God being love and God being good and God being light. What do you do with that? And what do you do with that? And what about this? And the reason we go into those is not because we need to make excuses for God's character or that we need to have an answer for every issue that we confront, but the reason in my mind that we go into that is because at the core of it is an issue of trust. If we don't believe that God is fully good and fully for us, then inevitably there's some part of us that we're going to hold back from God. If I don't believe that my dad is for me, then there are places my dad might want to go that I won't be willing to follow. If I don't believe that my dad is for me, there might be some things that I need to do or places that I need to let him into my life and I won't be willing to let him go there. It's kind of this, well, I know that God is good, but dot, dot, dot. 
And so we're saying, well, why don't we have an honest conversation about some of those things? I know that God is good, but what about... And the Old Testament brings a lot of those right up into our face. So last week, quickly, or I guess the week before, the first week we talked about how really the whole story of the Old Testament needs to be understood in light of who Jesus was and what Jesus said and did. And I gave some examples of, you know, for those of you that have seen The Sixth Sense or The Book of Eli, some of those movies, you know that you don't start analyzing every scene of the movie until you have the whole picture. And it's the same thing with the Bible. We don't just dive in and say, what's going on here? As much as we say, okay, let's hold on to that and let's see how the story plays out. And the climax of the story of the Old and New Testaments is the person of Jesus and the coming of Jesus into our midst. So everything needs to be understood in light of him. He is the ultimate, true, full face of God. Simple. But we don't often carry that or we don't always carry that into our our reading of scripture. The second thing we we talked about last week was this possibility that just maybe not everything that happened in Scripture was according to God's perfect, ideal plan. That maybe some of the things that happened were actually God having to meet humanity where we were at, not in order to just sit there with us, but actually to draw us forward, to help us mature, help us progress. Or you could maybe summarize it this way. Is it possible that the Bible doesn't tell us what should have happened, but instead the Bible simply tells us what did happen. And what that means, I mean, we see things like Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, don't do this, don't do that. And he says, but I tell you, and he takes it to its completion, its fulfillment. So I'm not going to go more into it than that, but we're going to need to have those things in mind as we go into this morning because it all actually ties together through this third and final piece. So the first thing is Jesus is the more to the story, and that talk is online if you missed it. And the second piece is Jesus is pulling us, meeting us in our reality, and pulling us towards the ideal. And the third piece we're going to go into this morning. So to do that, we're going to start in the beginning. And this is going to be, there's going to be some pieces of overlap from my very first actual talk here at Coastlands. We're going to throw back to that time when I was like, oh, let's just go for this. It was about a year ago and some change. And um, I believe that Beth was a part of it up front. So come back up. And um, Adam and Aaron aren't here this morning, but Adam was a part of it. So we're going back to the beginning and we're going to look at something that happened with Adam and Eve in the garden with God because this dynamic actually flows into how we understand all of scriptures and humanity's relationship with God. So, so we have Beth up here, and I need two more people for now. So Beth, come have a seat. Greg, perfect. How about you be the Father? You be the Holy Spirit. We need a Jesus, so we need a word. So basically we have, we have the Trinity here. From the very beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim, remember, plural, in the beginning, Elohim created. So, uh, we're binatarian right now. Somebody make us biblical. Thank you, Cynthia. (laughs) Cynthia, meet Greg and Beth. (laughs) So, 
we have the Trinity here before anything is ever created. And we, there's a lot of the story that we'll, we'll share at another time or revisit another time, but they want a family, right? Just like most couples have kids, not because they want somebody to do chores and not because they want somebody to tell them how good they are, but because love, when it overflows, needs somewhere else for it to land. So God creates Adam and Eve. Anybody? Come on. Crickets. We need an Adam and Eve up here. God creates Adam and Eve. <laughs> yes. You're, you're just, you're Adam and Eve. We, we don't need to distinguish. So, so God creates Adam and Eve, and in the beginning of Genesis, they're what together? They're walking together in the garden. There's intimacy, there's relationship, there's knowingness, there's, there's comfort, there's security. Would you agree? I mean, what do you think Adam and Eve experienced at the very beginning? They experienced a profound sense of being included in this life, right? God walks with them. So we, we get all that, but then we know that it's not too long before our story turns. And, and this, what happens here in the story reveals and helps us understand and make sense of the rest of it. Can you tell that I'm trying to really go through this quickly? Um, so we have God, and they create Adam and Eve, and, and somebody, well, so God says, hey, there's, there's two trees in the garden. There's actually all these things I want you to enjoy. I want you to enjoy this and enjoy that. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to work. I want you to enjoy each other. You know, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, hey, I like you. Go make a lot more of you. I'm going to make the process really fun. So God says, enjoy all this. But there's one thing that I don't want you to enjoy. You're not ready for it. There's a tree there. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, don't eat from that tree because the day you eat of it, in dying, you will die. Which is an interesting way to put it. In dying, you will die. And there's another tree that's the tree of life. And they're checking it out, and they're like, huh, well, actually, okay, I'm just going to skip over some of those details. Somebody comes into the picture that really quickly throws things off for us. It's a lizard. It's a talking serpent, a walking talking serpent. So can we have a serpent that wants to, whoa, that chair wasn't. Do we have somebody that wants to be our, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, why are you cheering for yourself? <laughs> you scoundrel. So this, you're a great serpent. You're great, you're great Geico gecko. So, so this lizard, this talking serpent lizard comes up, and actually, so now we need to know who's Eve, actually. All right, so, so, so the, the serpent comes to Eve and says, hey, you see this tree over here? And the serpent says, I got a question for you. Beautiful. Did God really say, did God really say that the day you eat from this tree in dying you will die? Now, what is the serpent getting at there? What is the serpent introducing into Eve's consciousness for the very first time? Doubt. This possibility that God is holding out on her. 
I know none of you have ever had that whispered to your minds, right? Never had that. But the serpent's original lie is, did God really say? There's actually two layers to that. Did God really say? In other words, can you trust yourself to really be connected with God like you think you are? Hmm. And then the second layer, because God knows that as soon as you eat from it, you will not die, but you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent was only half lying. And Eve sees that the fruit is good for eating. And Adam, you aren't actually so far off. You're right there in the picture, Adam. You're just kind of silent. Men. So, so Eve sees that the tree, that the fruit is good for eating, so she takes a bite. Should we call it a peach for sake of argument? Isn't that what tradition always says, right? So she takes a bite of the peach, and she hands some to Adam. And the next thing we know, oh, the last thing that Genesis tells us before the lizard comes in the picture is the man and the woman, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Is that important? The man and the woman, they were naked and they were not ashamed. So, <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Instagram that. So, the man and the woman are naked and they're not ashamed and then the next thing we find is they eat from the tree and they are what? They're hiding. We go hide somewhere, please? Hide, hide semi-good. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really know where to hide. So they're hiding. Wait, are they hiding from one another? They're not hiding from one another. And then we find God, an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, asking a really interesting question. We find God asking, and so God, you're kind of up on the move. As a unit. <laughs> and God asks a question. What's the question you ask, God? Where are you, Adam and Eve? Do you think God is saying, no, physically, like, what's your longitude and latitude? Do you think God didn't know where they were hiding? What is God saying? There's a distance now in our relationship that wasn't there before. There's something that's shifted in our connection that's no longer there. It's like when I'm sitting and my wife is telling me about some business idea she has, and all of a sudden I start daydreaming, and I'm sitting right next to her, but she goes, where'd you go? I'm like, I'm right here. Hello. But you know what she means, right? She's like, come on, dude. Come back to me. Come back to me. It's a similar thing with Adam and Eve. They've gone somewhere else relationally. They're hiding not from each other, but from God. The question we have to ask is, did Adam and Eve's eating from the tree change anything about the nature of God? Before, did they have any reason to hide from God? Was God a hide-from-me type of God? but yet they're hiding. So is it possible they realize, Adam and Eve, how do they respond? Adam and Eve say what? We realized we were naked and we were ashamed. 
So that thing that allowed them to be vulnerable to one another and with God, that lack of shame is no longer their reality. And the next thing we know is they are hiding from God. It's almost as if, now you get the, who, well, I could, I won't do it to your glasses. I was going to say I should just take a marker and write on your glasses, but yours are a little bit nicer than mine, so I have some glasses for you. <laughs> it's true. So all of a sudden, it's as if they have this new filter through which they see God that causes God to be someone that we must hide from. You guys okay up here for a minute? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one of those little pause, freeze, step out. Let me tell you guys a couple stories. I, I'm sure you've experienced this. So I was, I had class, I studied Chinese in China for a while. And I remember one day I told my teacher, I said, hey, class is particularly good today. Thank you. This was actually, this was really helpful. And a normal response would have been, cool, thanks. But you know what she said? She's like, oh, so you're saying the other days weren't good? She was like a third joking. But you're like, what? Why do you even say that, right? One time Sarah had a conversation with a friend of ours in China, and, and she was encouraging this friend with things like, you know, hey, you're really good. You're gifted at language. So I think that you should actually take more time. Instead of just learning at home, what you should do is start coming to school and spend like eight to ten hours a week investing in your language skills because you're really good. And she's like, and what you could do is you can get a house helper. You can get a nanny for really cheap that would be great for your kids. And you know, then it'll free you up to do all these things. And my wife is meaning that very encouraging, right? She's just thinking practically and trying to encourage her. And a few weeks later, the friend comes back and the friend is like, you know, I, I have some beef with you. I, kinda, I need to get this off my chest. We need to talk about this conversation we had recently. And Sarah's like, mm, okay. And the friend was like, well, so here's the thing. When you told me that you thought I should go and have class, at the school, I felt like you were saying I'm not disciplined or, or um, structured enough or dedicated enough to do it on my own. And Sarah's like, what, really? And she's like, and when you said that I should get a nanny, I felt like you were saying that I'm not a good enough mom on my own, that I just, I, I can't hack it, that I'm not good enough as a mom. And Sarah's thinking like, are we talking about the same conversation? Have you guys ever had that happen? You're just like, whoa, what snuck in there? What caused the disconnect? Well, what causes the disconnect? Shame, right? Shame and insecurity and our woundings distort our experience and our interpretation. It's one guy, Paul Young, he says it this way. He says, shame causes behavior statements to be interpreted as value statements. Shame causes behavior statements to be interpreted as value statements. In other words, don't mix the reds and whites when you're doing laundry turns into you're so stupid. You are incompetent and incapable. That's what shame does. Are you guys thinking of some examples that you've experienced? You're like, what got in there and totally hijacked that relationship? Often it's shame. And so Adam and Eve have this before they knew comfort, they knew security, they knew the presence of God, they knew intimacy with God, and next thing they know they invite shame and doubt and anxiety into their existence and it causes them to hide from God. 
And what I would propose is maybe they've passed that down to everyone ever since. Here's a quick example, and I'll let you guys off the hook in a few minutes. Is it kind of hard on your eyes looking through those? <laughs> yeah, you adjusted. She's just going to get dizzy and pass out. What happened? Remember when you're in school and the teacher says to one of your classmates, or maybe says to you, hey, can I talk to you after class? And everybody immediately does what? Oh. It never enters our mind, does it? The teacher could be like, hey, you won this handwriting competition. And you get $100 for it. And as like a third grader, you're like, what, $100? Does that even cross your mind that the teacher could have something good to say to you? It's, oh. That's this being played out over and over in our everyday reality. I'll let you guys have a seat. And I'm just going to give a, two more quick examples of this. So, yeah. God, you can, you can go back to your spot. I'll take these. Yeah, they're reading glasses. I'll take these. I'm going to take your shame. So... I didn't know if you guys wanted to stay up there for another 10 minutes or not, but we actually see this dynamic. So what happens is God is wanting to get close because that's the kind of God God is. God is the kind of God that wants to draw close, but it's people that keep pulling away. Another example, when Moses goes up on the mountain and comes back with the Ten Commandments, and at first the people, the Israelites, after all that God has done, the Israelites are like, well... We kind of want to meet with God because we'd like to see what this God is like. And then all of a sudden there's fire and these flashes of there's thunder and lightning and all these things that, that they get terrified of. And they say, if you want to put the keynote back up there, this is their response when God begins to reveal God's self to them. In Exodus 20 it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, which is an interesting picture, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, Hey, you talk to us. We'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Don't fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of God may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What's going on here? The people are saying, We can't handle seeing this God. Moses, you get in the way. There's a lot of dynamics going on there that we don't have time to go into, but God initially and essentially is pulling close to them and they're saying, uh-uh. And isn't it interesting, when someone makes too much of an effort to draw close to you, how do we respond? When a salesman feels really desperate to make a sale, how many of you want to buy from them? When a guy really, really likes a girl and doesn't get a hint, women, how do you normally respond? When he's just a little bit over-eager. Does that work in his favor? No. It's like hitch, right? It's like, I said come 90, come 90. <laughs> God is put in a predicament where if God goes too far and puts too much of God's self out there, it's going to push them away because that's the nature of who they had become. 
And so God has to deal with that dynamic somehow. We see this one more place very clearly in 1 Samuel. So they're doing great with Samuel as the prophet, as the man of God. We can do this in five minutes. And it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old. (laughs) Which is a great thing to tell an old person. Uh, (laughs) Behold, you're not getting any younger and your kids are kind of a mess. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hey, do what they're saying. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you. But they have rejected me from being king over them. What is God saying? I wanted to be their king, and they would have none of it. Was that because they saw God clearly and knew that God was good, that God was for them, that God was with them? It was because they had no idea who God was. And God says, hey, even though this breaks my heart, I want you to let them know what's going to happen. According to all the deeds they've done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, They've forsaken me and serving other gods. They're also doing that to you. Now listen to them. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king that shall reign over them. And God goes on to describe, this is what this king's going to do to you. He's going to take your women and he's going to make them his own. He's going to take your, lo- your land and your livestock and make it his own. It's not going to go good for you. This king is not going to be for you. And they say, well, we'd rather have any king but you, God. Because they did not see God through reality. So it brings us back to our other story of people being here and God wanted to draw close and God needed to meet them and saying, look it, let me show you more what I'm like. But they did not see God in fullness. Remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that passage? We all know the verse in Matthew 11. Remember the one that says, come to me, all you who are weary, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all know that verse, right? But we don't often give a lot of weight to the thing Jesus says right before that. He says, no one, no one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son but the Father. And I will reveal the Father to those I choose. Which is not a predestination statement. It's a statement of, I choose all of you. He says, I choose to show you what the Father is really like. Meaning, all of these guys through this whole story, yes, they walked with God to an extent. Yes, they knew God to an extent. But no one knows the intimacy and the goodness and the purity and the light that is in the Father's heart. And Jesus has come to show us that. It was like through all these different means, if we still had our Adam and Eve up here and our our humans up here, God is trying to break through to them. God is trying to get through to them. Does it ever work? It's like God pushes forward and they run away. And God pushes forward and they run away. And eventually, 
God waits. Somebody asked me recently, why did Jesus wait so long then? If Jesus was the one that could fully show us the face of the Father, why did Jesus wait so long to come as a human? Galatians says that he came in the fullness of time. Um, go back real quick. Let me ask you a question. So in, in Exodus, yeah, you can just hit the delete key or, or drop back in there. So quick thought. God brings all these different laws to the Israelites and says, this is what I'd like you to do. This is how I'd like you to live. And God says, I'm going to show you a little bit about myself. You're going to see this mountain smoking and the thunder and you're going to see lightning and all these things. And some, it's easy to think like, well, that's kind of scary. Like, is God trying to scare them? Well, kind of. I mean, God's trying to say, look it, I'm, I'm totally different. I'm beyond you. I'm, I'm other than you. I'm, I'm a force to be reckoned with. And Moses tells them, don't fear. God has come to test you. In other words, to see what's really inside of you. That the fear of God may be before you that you may not sin. Let me ask you a question. How well did God's strategy work? What were they doing within like a month of this encounter? They went and made a little calf out of gold and started worshiping it and dancing around it and telling it it was their God. Naked? <laughs> yeah. Hey, so, <laughs> so they got rid of some of their shame. Isn't that interesting? Within a month of this crazy encounter, because how many of you think like, man, if I could just see God, like reveal God's glory, then I would be a totally different person. And yet these Israelites are like, hey, God, uh, we kind of want to see you, mostly through Moses, but this is what we really want. And like 30 days later, they're making this golden calf and worshiping it as their God. That's basically adultery. I mean, God gets super angry when that happens. And some people, students will ask me, so, you know, why is God so upset about that? I thought that God wasn't wrathful. I'm like, uh... If I walked in on my wife with another man, how would you expect me to respond? Be like, oh, I forgive you, baby. There would be intense emotion. So obviously God's scare tactics didn't work. So God is trying other things and other things to say, how do I get through to these people? And it's not until Jesus comes on the scene and even then now think about the Pharisees were they pretty committed to God the Pharisees would send out missionaries the Pharisees would tithe on their groceries they never missed a Sabbath they got so upset with Jesus for little things he did because he was not honoring the Sabbath Jesus is up on the cross and the Pharisees want to break his legs so that he dies sooner so that they don't have to take him down on the Sabbath. Pound sign, ironic. They were so committed to fearing God, yet the problem was what? They had no idea who God really was. And Jesus comes with a human face and tries to get close to them, and even then they don't totally get it, do they? Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, 
you search the scriptures, you memorize all of these scriptures because you think that in them you will have life and you will meet with God. Yet you don't realize that the scriptures are talking about me. They all point to me. And you miss that somehow. I guess a good maybe story to kind of temporarily land us, because we're going to continue on with this as we look at the sacrificial system and some of these other particular stories and how these frameworks kind of help us. The frameworks I'm trying to give are Jesus is the more to the story. Jesus is the one through whom we need to understand the scriptures. There's a reality of where humans were at that God is almost forced, in a sense, to work with. God meets us where we're at, yet draws us forward. And at the same time, none of these people throughout the Old Testament, even the ones that walked closest to God, Jesus says, they did not know my Father. If you want to see what my Father looks like, look at how I relate to him. This is what my Father looks like. So all of them had something missing from their perspective of God. And Jesus came to bring all that around to himself. So we'll go into some of these particular stories, but I think just this, what shame does essentially, and this is the last thing I'll say, and we'll, we'll hear what God's saying to you all. What shame really does is it locks us down into fight or flight, right? We know those two stress responses, those fear responses. Fear leads to either fight or flight. We either run towards in attack or we run away in fear. And it locks you down. It stops you from actually thinking logically and living relationally and living lovingly. There was this eagle. Have you guys heard the story about the eagle? It was in this, uh, I guess you don't know which story about an eagle I'm going to tell. So why did I even ask that? Um, there was this eagle that was a part of a, what would you call it, like a wildlife reserve. And it was somewhere between a zoo and a, you know, kind of safari, wide open type thing. But this, this eagle had lived most of its life in captivity. And it came time for the eagle to be released. And so these workers take the eagle in its cage, I guess you could say. They put it in the cage in the back of a truck and they drive it out into the wilderness, out into the open. And they're thinking, all right, as soon as we open this cage, this eagle's going to what? Just go. So they back the truck up, and they open the cage, and they're watching, and they just get out of the way to see what the eagle does. And what does the eagle do? Any guesses? It goes and cowers in the corner of the cage. And they're like, didn't see that coming. And they try to lure it out with food, and they try to kind of coax it out with different things, and... Nothing draws it out. Until finally, you know what happened? Another eagle of the same type is flying off in the distance and calls out to the eagle in the cage. And it was like without looking back, this eagle in the cage just spreads its wings and is meeting the other eagle in the air without a moment's hesitation. And isn't that what Jesus has done for us? If God came to us as this completely other, we would say like all of the people in the Old Testament, with few exceptions, well, eh, yeah, but I'll keep you at arm's distance. So Jesus says, I need to come in your form, in your shape, so that you can see that I'm other, but I'm also willing to meet you in who you are. 
Now, where we'll have to go probably next week is what Jesus does to our shame, which is a really fascinating ride, and it has to do with the sacrificial system. But we're going to land here for now and just kind of have to just temporarily pause on this until we have time to develop it further. But keep that image of that eagle in your mind, and and how does it tie all of this back together? I hope you see that what we're trying to to say is that the Old Testament is is full of these crazy stories, and there's goodness, and there's redemption, and there's mercy, and there's grace in there as well, but it's, it's full of all these things, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is that Jesus has become one of us, and he's come to meet us where we're at, and he's come to draw us out of our shame and draw us into fullness a relationship with God. I wouldn't have thought of that if I was God. Yeah, what, let me open it up to you all real quick and then we'll, we'll pray and see how, how to respond, but what is God saying to you in this that's, that's relevant to all of us. What? Yeah, does anybody have maybe a, a picture or a quote or a scripture that, that kind of enhances or augments this or, or helps bring clarity on what you sense I'm trying to say? Anybody have no idea what I'm trying to say? Torah. I'm not sure, but for the first time when we're <laughs> Not so sure. It's almost as if, and this, this leads us into where we need to go next week, but it's almost as if we are so, these are, these are so much a part of who we are that Jesus has to find a way not to just come, because if Jesus comes close, if God comes close, and this is what I see, what am I going to want to do? I'm going to want to keep him at a distance, right? I mean, that's what shame does. When, you're, when you do something and it makes your parents angry, and then they want to come and talk to you about it, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, let's wait until everything cools down a little bit. I had a not super... Um, wonderful parenting moment with Zachary yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, as I try to draw close to him to redeem it, what does he want to do? He's tempted to pull away because he sees through the lens of what he has done. He's like, no, 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 I'm in trouble. So he pushes me away. So no matter what God tries to do to get close to us, there's this filter, there's this blockage. So the thing Jesus has to figure out is not how does God come and clean our lenses off, But instead, how does Jesus come and get inside our lenses from the other side so that they can be healed? That's where we need to go next week. Anybody really envious of God? Like, man, (laughs) you're like, I could do your job so much better, God. (laughs) 
We give God a lot to work with, don't we? And God is just so relentless in pursuit of us. God says, that thing that distorts what you're seeing and what you're doing, I want to heal that, but it's going to be tricky and it's going to cost me everything. But I'm up for it. Yeah, Pamela. And then we'll hear from one more. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you, you're sleeping in a dark room and somebody comes and just <clears throat> switches on the light and you're like, oh, thank you. Now you're like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. The reason, one of the reasons Adam and Eve wanted to keep God at arm's length, thank you, Pamela, was because God's goodness exposed their bankruptcy. God's comfort and God's light exposed their darkness. God's security exposed their anxiety. God's wholeness exposed their shame. And that's not always comfortable, is it? And that puts God in a really tricky spot. Yeah, Mike, last thought or... Interesting. Yeah, that's a cool connection. I hadn't connected it with that story. Thank you. Yeah. Phil, there's always time for you to talk about it. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, um, is how God is continually like you to walk with us. Yeah. And whatever God is God in my mind, you know, like, we're sort of seeing the condition of the Reformation. Jesus and God, like, that in our hearts we intuitively know
Absolutely. I mean, isn't that what religion is founded on? Is, and that's, I guess that's kind of where we're going next week, is religion is founded on shame. And that's what shame on God, that's why we're calling it this, is because it's not shame on you, God. It's we humans projected our shame onto the face of God. That's why we can't see. That's what this means, is that we take our insecurities, our doubt, our fear, our brokenness, and we project it. You guys know, if you're a psychology majors or even if you've taken one psychology class, the idea of projection, right? You see in others everything you don't want to see in yourself. That's what we've been doing to God the whole time. And so we put these defenses up. And God says, how do I get behind those defenses? C.S. Lewis has this picture that he, he kind of calls it stealing behind the watchful dragons. It's like we have these defense mechanisms that we put up that are always raring to go. And God has to get around them somehow, and it's not an easy thing. So how does God do that? So that God doesn't just come in, but actually takes these eyes off and gives us his eyes, and that's what we're trying to see. That's what the Christian life is, is trying to see the Father through the eyes of Jesus. So, yeah, thank you all for your... That's, that's going to be... Let's just... I'm going to, that's my prayer for us, I guess, but as we continue to go forward, just be aware of maybe some things that, that trigger that shame or defense reaction in you or that thing of, you know, wait, is God out to get me? Is God out to punish me? Is God, there's, there's a lot more we'll unpack about that, but when you see this kind of triggering you and, and wanting you to push other people away, that's a sign of shame at work. When you see this wanting to push your, yeah, close relationships or family members, parents, whatever, or coworkers, when we want to push people away, often it's because something's triggering our sense of shame. And we want to just go into defensive mode. So Jesus, thank you that you're tender enough with us that you don't just come and, yeah, break our glasses or rip them off our face and stomp them on the ground, but you get inside of them and you want to give us your eyes. You want to give us your eyes for the Father, your eyes for one another, your eyes for community. So would you help us to be the kind of people that, that not only bring safety, but we feel safe because we know who we are in you. And help us to grapple with the reality of, of those of us that have gone before in the Old Testament and, and even in the New and those around us in areas that we have projected our shame and guilt onto your face and distorted your image, would you heal that? Jesus, would you heal that in us? We don't want shame to have the final word about what you're like, but we want your goodness to be the final say, that we would open ourselves to you and to others like you truly intended us to live. 